Of course, rules, it's garbage right? in, garbage out. Is yeah. garbage in, garbage out. I mean, as simple as that, right? If your data that you use、mm-hmm. is partially based on historical bias because of redlining, because of everything that we have done that we thought was okay, and now is manifesting itself in present day twenty twenty three, of course it needs to be fixed. And that was why CFPP came out a couple of months ago and said. Hold your horses for all of you guys that using AI in your automated credit decisioning. Make sure you can explain what you're doing if you are rejecting someone's. Hey, Ted Huff here. Ever thought about how you can streamline your application and underwriting process? Well, let me introduce you to Under. Why keep using the outdated methods of PDFs when you can digitize them effortlessly? All you gotta do is upload the PDF. Send it out for digital signature, and voila, you're set for the digital age. Are you curious on how to make that happen? Head over to under.io/ftc and get started for free. It's really that simple. Welcome to FinTech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Welcome to another episode of FinTech Confidential's Uncut. Where we talk about subjects without any limitations, without any restrictions, and truly share where we're thinking, what we're thinking, and how we're thinking about these topics. This week, or this episode, jeez, I've been on so many episodes this week, but on this episode, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, how it plays in fintech, how it maybe shouldn't play in fintech, and a handful of the things that have been announced here recently. Uh, around Nvidia, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan has made a few comments in the recent news, and I'm going to get the perspective from our guests. Now, this week, I did it again. On this episode, this is going to be fun.、Um, on this episode, I have Theodora Lau. She is an author. She has her own consulting company. She she's been speaking all over the globe here recently, and I think. One of the big pieces that I'm looking forward to her perspective is from her latest book around Web3 and the financial economy and how that impacts everything. She's going to bring bring a really unique perspective, and we brought Matt Van Houten back to the show, got him in here, and we'll love to see his perspective because he keeps track very closely to what's going on in fintech. So the first question I want to ask everybody. And and we'll we'll kick it off with Theo. You're you're the new one here, so we'll kick off with you.、Uh, the the first question is how how do you define AI, and do you feel that it might be a slightly overused acronym? How about I do it the other way around? Because I like to cause trouble. AI is not magic. Here you go. That's what, what? I, I said. It. Oh it come on! Magic. magic is illusion. Um, and and AI AI does a lot of interesting things. I it's not it's not magical. It's math. It, it's it's math. It's literally numbers. Um, that's how I look at it. And it's been around. It's been around for a long time. It's been around even before the whole Chat GPT hype that it brought about. Like what more than a year ago now?、Uh, I think it was November last year. So it is it is really interesting technology. Um. It can do a lot of really interesting things for how we live and how we work.、Um, I am pretty sure 
this is like a very non-controversial comment. Um, we haven't even touched the surface of what it can do. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Oh, Matt, what, where's, where's your perspective? Give us a little bit of your perspective on, on the, on the whole AI piece of it. And then I'll give mine. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I totally agree with everything Theo just said, but I'm going to, I'm going to sort of come back around to, I think that the terminology and how it sort of influences the way like people in the public perceive what is, is potentially actually there versus what's truly there. And, um, and I think there's a, you know, language in my view, you know, creates our reality, both in terms of how we understand the world and in terms of how we, we convey a description of something that then allows someone else to then have their own. So we, we create mutual understanding through language in large part, right? There's not the only way, but it's one of the biggest um, ways that we do that. So whenever we start with a, a, a framework and we say like, this is intelligence, it's, it's already really a brand versus a description of what's, at, what's underneath the hood. You know, it's not intelligence, not yet. Maybe there's, there's, and there's a lot of debate around, you know, perhaps not ever. Um, some really smart people think, yeah, we're going to get to a, a period where technologies that are sort of similar to the underlying structure of ChatGPT can be autonomous thinking entities. And there's a lot of other really smart people that say, no, I mean, maybe it'll happen, but not with anything close to the frameworks that we're working with now. So I think, I think for one, it's just the, the key question I have is like, are, are we talking about like technology that can do something that's a tool, right? So like, let's just talk about what, what is a technology that can solve a problem and then what can it do? And then separately, <laughs> the more philosophical question of like, you know, what is consciousness and, uh, you know, is this an independent being, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I just think we're so far away from needing to actually answer the second question, given the, oh. the, the, the truth of what the capabilities are right now, that it, it starts to create a, 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 like a new narrative that I think coming back to Theodora's main point is being in large part fed by those who are driving the early innovation in this space to, in my view, scare people into uh, creating oversight that they then write the rules around and can control, right? So if you tell everybody, this thing is really scary, you need to only have it be in trusted hands. And my hands are the most trusted. Um, oh, yeah. That, that that even goes into the whole decentralized fear of decentralization. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one out for today's discussion. You know, from my perspective, I... I I look at it from a, we've had to simplify down the numerous things that have been going on from pattern recognition, some sort of um, automated learning, some human directed or human decisioned movements and behaviors that go behind that. And it was just easier to create this nice big bucket called artificial intelligence because from my perspective looking at it the reason why people feel comfortable calling it artificial intelligence is because it's 
mimicking decisions that we have made in the past and regurgitating or presenting information that already exists. And for a lot of people, that feels intelligent. And it's more about a feeling than the reality. Yeah, so it's like that. It's like that horse that could, you know, tap codes in in like the 1910s or 20s or something. And everyone was like, my God, this horse, it can communicate. It's uh, I can't remember who was doing a PT Barnum, maybe, or so, one of those sideshow type type uh, type of people. <laughs> And, you know, and event, it was very convincing. A lot of people were fooled into thinking that this horse actually was a sentient thinking being that could tell you its thoughts and stories. And, and then, you know, eventually it became clear what was really going on. It was, you know, taking direction from somewhere else, you know. And it, I think we're, we want to believe in sentience in, in hosts other than human minds. I mean, this is, this is, this is something that goes back. I don't know, maybe forever, right? Whether it's, you know, God, the, the idea of like a God, the idea of like mythical like spirits or the forest having, you know, uh, a mind. Like we want to know that there are other things in the universe that can think. And so it's very attractive. It doesn't, so it, it doesn't take oh, very much to then man. convince people to say, yeah, that's thinking, you know? Yeah, but I, I would chime in here. I, I, I like what you just said. And it reminds me of something that Clara de Rodier, she loves to say, algorithms have parents, right? We, we often tend to forget that these things, they don't exist in a, in a vacuum. These things were created by humans. What they do was dictated by how we program it, by what we teach. It, they don't just come into being. Um, so we need to stress that part a little bit more totally well and it's funny you bring that up matt is um i was at an event earlier this week where we were having a very similar discussion to what we're having today more around ai and what's truly innovative and in different areas and i'm going to ask you guys for your perspective on the fintech piece but the part that i thought was interesting is that some of the scientists that were there, data scientists and biological scientists, talked about they're excited to use artificial intelligence to figure out how plants talk to each other, how cells within the body can understand what's going on. So they're, tr they're leveraging these models to really try and dive in a little bit deeper into the why. And I part that made it really interesting to me, especially based on your comment, is that they're trying to give it a human persona every single time. Mm -hmm. And how many movies do we have where animals are humans, right? What were there three launched this year that were really focused around that? At least that I know of. Heck, who knows how many more? That's the other areas on how they're looking at it from the fintech side. Do, do, wait, do, oh, do, you think, do, do you think that's a problem? And they're, so take, for example, I think there, there's pre, pre AI. There's been a lot of interesting research in, mm -hmm. in the last several years that, that does point to some kind of an interaction happening, like between plants and between plants and humans mm -hmm. that, that, that we don't understand. And, and I'm not going to say it, it's, sentience that's at play there 
But there's some kind of information exchange that's happening that goes beyond what we can see and you know what we know about like cell biology. And so I, I wonder, like, I think exploring that further to me, like, as a, as a goal, is 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 a good one. The question I have is like, do, because we've already anthropomorphized AI, and we're very uh, happy to continue to do that with whatever the object of our study is. You know, I guess are we are we bringing so much bias into just the framework for examining the question? That we're automatically kind of like skewing the like the likely results to try to create an answer that says, well, clearly this is speech or this is thought or this is understanding, because um, that's what you're looking for. You know, you 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 think that's what it is, and you're going to find it. You know, Theodora, I saw your your the the gears turning in your head as as he was talking through that. You know, this is a kind of a topic that you brought up in your book really around how to use it for good not evil I'll use I'm summarizing right is like how to use it how to use the the web3 direction and all these new technologies for good do you think maybe we're taking it too far now I think you're probably referring actually this is more in sync with my first book beyond good which was written during covid um, and in there, that was when we were looking at technologies such as longevity tech, AI, um, and what have you that has been around for a while and what companies are using them to improve financial inclusion um, and help, for example, smallhold farmers to get access to credit. So those things I think is really interesting. It has real world implications. I like, Matt, what you just said about the interaction or relationship, I don't know, lack of a better word, between plants and, and people. Because it reminds me of something that actually I think my parents taught me. This was little, it somehow it, it stuck to my mind, that they told me that the plants respond to human presence. If you have bamboos and you have greens in the house and you're around, the plants will thrive. If you ignore it, it just left it sit there in the corner by themselves. You're never home. It doesn't work well. And, and it's one of those, I used to call it ancient Chinese secret, like things that just get <laughs> passed down from generations. But you're right. I mean, the universe is, is mysterious and it works in mysterious way. That sounds like a lyric. Um, but there are a it lot of things that we don't understand. probably is in some song somewhere. Yeah. Probably, right? I'm not, absolutely not well versed in the entertainment area, but, but it probably is. So it goes back to we have this amazing, set of technologies, amazing amount of resources, seemingly um, endless at our disposal. Then the question becomes, what are you going to do it for? What are you going to use it for? And mm. who, who will have a voice at the table to decide mm. what you will use it for? And, and I think that's my worry. I'm not worried about the technology itself. I'm more worried about who will have to say so and saying, this is the direction we're going. And it goes back a little bit to what Ted, you and Matt were talking about um, in, in terms of the evolution of the technology and, and all the things that we're using it for. Who is, who has the authority to sit there and say, well, no, this is not a good direction or yes, we need to double down on this. 
you know, it's funny as you, you mentioned that the plant and, and your parents teaching you that if you just leave it in the corner and you don't pay attention to it, it dies. I'm, I'm going to hold a lot of truth in that because I bought this beautiful, beautiful plant that was a beautiful ficus. It was designed and created, turned into a bonsai. And I got busy with a whole bunch of stuff. And I mean, I still watered it, right? But like I watered it. But then I came back from a trip and it was as if it just gave up. It just as if it gave up. And now mm -hmm. I look at and yeah. it's still sitting in that corner because I feel bad that that happened. But, you know, those are the types of things that we have to kind of think through as, as we look at how are we going to leverage this type of technology and, you know, exchange of value, money or otherwise is, is something everybody holds close because that's, that's how we live. That's how we get and or give things. That's, that's just how we, we move forward in our daily lives. I'm going to jump into the fintech side of the house. We've talked about the philosophy piece of it, but let's dive into the fintech. You know, there's a, a handful of companies that are really diving into the artificial intelligence side of the house. And that's what their business is based on uh, at one of the many layers in artificial intelligence. You know, you've, you've got everything from your your machine learning, you've got your, your models and your, your life piece of it. And then you just continue to grow out from it. Um, and then you also, uh, sorry, you have the behavioral. I skipped a life moment behavioral piece of it. And then we would get into the sentient part that, that Matt had brought about. But going back all the way down to the data analytics and the machine learning piece of it, Theo, as we were talking before we got hit the record button, it's not new. It's been around a really long time. Matt, you and I have talked about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my first experience working with machine, it was, it's, it's a combination of machine learning and pattern recognition to mm -hmm. automate capturing information from financial documents was in like 2002, 2003. And it worked really well. I, um, and this was not simple, just like, you know, uh, standardized font kind of like being able to read that 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 technology that's like optical character recognition and mm -hmm. then that moved into intelligent character recognition i think ocr is like from the 60s maybe 70s like a long time magnetic ink kind of predates both of those so the uh, the ability yeah. to take the a magnetic maker, yeah. signature from from text like so we've been using technology to take things that previously had to be like looked at by a person and then transferred by either hand or some other mechanism from one place to another place. Like if you go back to the magnetic ink example, that's definitely since at least sixties, right? And then, and then it's progressively gotten, uh, as the, both the imaging capabilities have improved. So you actually have a better signal coming in. Now you have a really high resolution document and then I can, I can examine all the bits on the, on the, on the map and I can now put those through software. Um, the software then you, you know you, you can develop lots of different techniques to to try to like figure out like based on what i see in that in that map how do i make sense out of this right yeah and 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 yeah so that that technology's been 
it's been working fairly well and actually doing a lot of, I would say, good, right? I mean, I think this is something I'd really love to get into is like, you know, um, automating work that was being done by a person over time, I feel is a good thing. Um, however, sometimes it can be it can be so fast in terms of the transition where where we, like automation can replace human um, labor so quickly that the, that we and we, and we and we don't do is 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 recognize the impact that that has on real human lives and invest in ways to support everyone right and so it's like we automate to save money for like this time I was working at JP Morgan right so JP Morgan's saving a bunch of money JP Morgan's customers are saving a bunch of money but then employees who used to do data capture don't have a job anymore and we and then it, we we say well that's they should uh they should learn how to become software engineers well like, and that's funny that's not a very realistic uh transition that well and that that's one of the pieces you know that I when I was doing the research and really diving into to kind of understand why the banks why some banks have dove in head first other banks are taking a wait and see approach you know good old Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan made a comment that he feels that it will eliminate jobs mm-hmm. and that it will reduce the workload of today down to three and a half hours a week. Well, I, I think for one, he can say with certainty, and I know this because he was the CEO when I was there, it already has eliminated jobs, right? And it will continue to eliminate jobs. I, to me, this is like some of, some of the significance that we're placing on a statement that a person makes today is, is mostly just because the popular kind of like people just know about it, right? Mm. But but to Theodore's point from early on, it these these impacts have been happening for a very, very long time. They're just accelerating. And I think the question is now like, and now people can, like, I actually feel like this is one of those situations where, remember I was saying the language creates reality and it helps us to each like really kind of develop our own common understanding. I think like wonky software type nerd folks already knew all this stuff. It was hard to convey to those who weren't in that world. But then once yeah. you can interact with this chatbot and then you suddenly see, oh my God, wow, right? A lot of this stuff was possible. Maybe not the generative side of things. I think we sort of over overvalue what generative AI really can do for, for, for real problem solving. Um, but it gives people the idea of like, whoa, I didn't know this was possible, right? And now they start thinking about what if, what if, what if, in a way that wasn't really happening quite as much before. And almost, I almost wish that we would have been a little bit more thoughtful in rolling that out. I, I think my biggest, one of my biggest gripe was how events have unfolded the last 13 months is that, hey, we have this thing. Here you go. Oh, oops, it caused trouble. Oh, by the way, we forgot to tell you, Asterix, this is in beta. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> All right? You started a race, and now everyone is dumping stuff out there and then going back and say, oops, sorry. I, I, I love tech. Don't get me wrong. My entire journey has been around tech. You're and among I love friends. toys. We're, 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 right? we're all in, we all have the, uh, the, 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 the tech bug. I think, yeah, yeah 
we get so, that. Yeah. So, so I, I love it, but but there is, to a certain extent, need to have a little bit of responsibility and accountability. And I don't see that. Where do you think that should be coming from? Like, who whose job is it to hold whoever accountable for? <laughs> oh, don't, don't get me started on this one. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh. Um, See, that's good I, then. I think the, I think we need to I need to poke on this one then, Ted. I, that was a good poke. It was a good <laughs> poke. I mean, realistically, I look at it as it should never be a government. Period. Mm. Um, Why? It, it, Who should it be? Do you think people that have an inherent interest in getting a big pie, we can trust them to come on and say, yeah. "Oops, I'm going to hold back." I think it should be... That's a rhetorical question, by the way. Oh, okay. You <laughs> <laughs> stuck me with the rhetorical. No, I, I mean, and I'll even go a little bit further. Like, I, I, the problem I have with governments making decisions on just about anything is because it's based on limited understanding and limited uh, information, and they don't understand any potential side effects to restricting the flow of things and or people. So mm-hmm. that's the piece that that I say I, I don't like the idea of our governmental piece playing in it. I also what, don't what, but what Ted? What if what if all they did was said, um, you you need to disclose anytime you are interacting with a customer through an artificially powered something persona. Let's just say, so you don't end up with a Sports Illustrated issue of fake profiles and. Like if you're gonna use it, it, you need to That's you need to point. you need to disclose that it's this it's ha- it's here, right? Like uh, you are inter- the thing you're interacting with right now is not a human being. Like like num- like is that something that you think the government should enforce as a requirement? You make a good point. You putting him um, on the spot. <laughs> I know, and I That's what it. Uncut's all about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I mean. If it is a general direction of something like that that you should you should know, um, it should do no harm. It should not cause any problems. Like, oh, wait, so you would you would you would not have a problem with that sort of a gen- at least like the generality yeah. of it. But that isn't what what governments do, though. So it sometimes is right. It's not. I, I agree that there's overstepping, but but someone has to decide if someone's going to put a rule in like that. Right? It won't be the platforms that are building these tools right it will need to come oh it'll never be the platforms and this is why sam altman and company yeah yeah, they want to go to dc and they want to say it needs to be regulated and these are the specific things that it should be regulated around which uh surprise surprise Mm -hmm. are likely to be favorable to open ai and microsoft right so that's the sausage making process in reality well and that that brings me into the other question that i had is like how how comfortable should we be or how are you guys looking at the fact that you've got two major tech companies that are really driving and there's a kind of a third one you can kind of sneak in there because they haven't been as public about it, but you've got open AI slash Microsoft. You've Let's got Google that just launched. I think, Genesis. I, think, I think this is the thing we need. We found out after everything played out last time around It's Microsoft. OpenAI is not OpenAI is not an independent organization. They are Microsoft's subsidiary in all but 
you know, legal, legal, legal paperwork. So who else other than Microsoft do you think? Amazon is where I was going. But so wait, Microsoft, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Amazon, and Amazon. Eh, They're they are using it as a self-serving piece. They are not opening it up to be able to be used in multiple different areas. But none of them are, right? That's that's my point in saying that OpenAI and Microsoft is really Microsoft. You know, it's 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 being fed. Microsoft's not putting 15 billion, 20 billion, whatever is ultimately going to be delivered to to build that tech because they think it's good for humanity, right? They may think it's good for humanity, but that's not why they write the check, right? They write the check because it's good for Microsoft. And there's yeah. and and the, and they want Sam Altman there because they think he's good for what Microsoft wants OpenAI to do, which is publish more stuff and go faster and like get this out. So I I do think it's important to just recognize they all have self-interest. None of them are doing this from a position of the greater good. Even if they yeah. even if as individuals they may think that way as corporations they do not. They're not allowed to because of being who they are, right? They're capital constrained, public market driven entities that have no choice but to keep growing. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really wanted to, was thinking more about was I, as a person, can have a direct relationship with the language model or multimodal model depending on which platforms you choose to use. Whereas with Meta, you get a user interface that's through their systems and it it doesn't really allow the building on top of, but more the more interaction within Meta. At least that's been my experience. However, the, the, um, if you look at what they did with chatbots in the, in the messenger platform, they opened their platform for brands to integrate with their APIs to deliver conversational experiences between bots and users on the platform. This is no different, right? I think what they're doing is they're, they are, in addition to that, they're building their own persona that you can then, you know, have as your friend. <laughs> it's like part of your, maybe you don't have any real friends. You can at least have one. You can you get your, your, your wasn't meta that buddy. A, wasn't that a movie? <laughs> it's been a couple movies, yeah. Usually, yeah. Lars, Lars is that one? Lars and the Real Girl is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, those, yeah. And then there's a another one too, and I, I I can't remember what it was, but uh oh yeah 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 I know I know the one I haven't, I haven't the guy where he one. falls in love with with the AI mm-hmm. bot her mm-hmm. her yeah thank you her. thank you oh yeah yeah oh so Theodore we 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 we've been we've been like going back and forth where where do you lie in all of this craziness that we're we're talking about here. In terms of what? I'm just I have- perspective, thoughts. You know, what have you seen around like realistically, you know, you get to meet a lot of people as you go and travel and, and do your, your, your speaking engagements. Um, and, and I've actually been at a couple where, where you've, you've talked about the subject. Um, just trying to understand are these big conglomerates a concern? Are they not a concern? Of course they are. What are you, what are you, what are you hearing and feeling, especially around the fintech world? Because if you think about it, right, we, we look at artificial intelligence and the whole slew of technology as something that can be very transformative to how we work and how we earn a living and how we live. 
period, is going to change our lives. If that's the case, and, and I'll go back to then who I'm sorry, just Theodore, could you, could I pause yeah. on that for a second? Okay. Do you believe that? I do eventually. Not right now. I think eventually could, it will change. Could you change. paint the picture for me around how better technology allows me to not work as much? Versus oh, I, I, I just am working, work more, as... uh, working more jobs and, uh, and, and delivering more value to the shareholders. A, oh, no, 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 no. See, 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 this is what we're talking about. You had a whole notion of assuming the direction was going. I didn't say we're going to work less. <laughs> you said it's going to make our lives better. So nope, if I'm working the same change. amount. It okay, would change. Okay, okay maybe, I, 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 maybe I need to listen better. Okay, say, say tell me again, because I, I think I misheard. It's, it's change. Okay, right. That's what, that's yeah. what I tell my husband on a daily basis. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, 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 it would change how we work and it would change how we earn a living. So let's say, for example, going, going back to the example that you guys are talking about in banks, right? Mm-hmm. The technology mm-hmm. has replaced, the automation has replaced some of the things that we used to do manually. And also, now, if you overlay that with human longevity since early 1900s, and Todd, you probably heard this, we have earned and gained an extra 30 years of healthy living. Now, if you take a step back, look at me, I just turned 50 last month. My parents have been bugging me for the last year. Why aren't you retired yet? Context, my mom retired when she was 49. Um, like, yeah, no, what am I going to do for the next 50 years? Sit at home, twiddle my thumb. First of all, I cannot afford it. Second of all, no, that's boring. Um, so just by this really small example, and I look all around me, we have changed how we work. We have changed how long we work. Mm-hmm. I was just reading a report earlier today that is talking about the fastest growing group of people who are still working. By the way, that's not a good news. Are people that are older than 75. I would say part of it is because they cannot afford to stay living in a, you know, certain, um, standard, if you will. They just can't afford it if, if you live an extra 20 some years longer. So they have to stay working, but technology also allow us to change how we work, right? People are going into semi retirement, not full retirement, because now you have access to tech that you can work remotely, for example. So it has changed how we work. That doesn't mean we're working less. Is it? I guess I'm curious sense? if you think that if you look at this future that you're envisioning, and what is it? How does it make you feel? How many drinks do you want? <laughs> uh, I don't have. You no, know, I did not prepare with with adult beverages. Yeah. So now I'm starting to feel like I should have. I know. Yes. I get my mimosa going. It's still it's still uh, mid morning. In uh, my time it, zone, it's two o'clock. I can start my whiskey bottle, but it, it's it, it's more. I think I think that is a really broad question that needs a little bit of onion peeling, because I think how we deal with it and the impact of it on a lot of people in the United States, in the UK, and Europe is going to be very different than the impact of it for people in global south, for people that are in emerging economies. I think that's where we don't do a good job. Because we generalize things mm-hmm. a lot. So going back, for example, to the example, I think earlier we were talking about AI and the ability um, with image sensing technology and recognition and all of that to mm-hmm. allow smallhold farmers to get access to microcredits. That's been going on. So, for example, my bank, 
in um, Asia, they have used a 310 model for microlending. Three minutes to assess your credit, one second to dispense the credit, zero human interaction. And they do it because they have a huge database of data about you as a person and about you as a small business owner. So that's how they use to de-risk some of their lending decision. And boom, here you go. You're a farmer. We have um, the ability. You take a snapshot of the crops you're growing. We know who you are. We know what you're growing. We validate that this is a growing crop. This is how we assess the risk. Here you go. $10 microloan, right? So that has changed how people earn a living, if you will, because now they have access to a little bit of money to get farm equipment, to get fertilizers, and et cetera, et cetera. So and that who's impacts- who, who's who's um, I guess who's driving that in terms of like the private is it a companies. profit motive primarily? Of is there profit. well, it's not it's is not is always. Microloans no. aren't necessarily the best business model, so it's uh they it can works for for it works for Ant. My bank is part of Ant. Ant I see. Mm-hmm. But is it purely is it purely about like monetizing the loans or is it because they've got this massive platform network play and then they just are getting people deeper and deeper into the the super the super app experience the and super now app has been around um, for eight years come on we're just catching up to it um, what's been around for eight years super app super app's been in alive and well in asia since i don't know oh yeah super app's not coming to the u.s though so oh, it's no, a it's very not. it's a very it's a very <laughs> different sort of i'm just curious if their approach to kind of micro lending is it actually about profit on lending or is it about an ecosystem? I think it could be both. It doesn't model. have to be either or, does it? It can be both. It can be I you're think- doing good while you're doing well. I mean, that's the whole thing about the book. So why? So, so that would suggest back to Ted's point, um, let it ride, right? Like don't get in the middle. And they have like- been. No one is getting in the middle of my bank, right? But that tech is used for a very particular purpose. Now, if you fast forward to where AI is and what people want to use, this is when governments start getting into the middle. Like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. What what exactly are you doing in here? And we need to pay attention because the technology evolves and grow, right? It doesn't stay static. And is that is that, I guess are you are you thinking that for Ant in this example, they should be supervised in the use of like are. how they apply like the decisioning logic for who gets a loan and who doesn't? I know not so much so that, but more so in what exactly are they doing and do some of the pots and pieces need to be broken up? I think that's been very public. Antitrust. Yeah, yeah. What if there are biases in their data set that are favoring one group over another? What if? There's always bias in data. But I thought that was a problem. Isn't that a problem that we need to have help solving? You're asking Ted, you're asking me. (laughs) I, I don't know, Ted, in, Ted what, I, do you, what do you, what do you know about Ant Financial and whether they need to be regulated well, I, because of their potential I, I misuse I of biased data? I, I don't think it's Ant Financial only, Ant Financial. I, I think it, it is across the board, whether you're a financial institution lender, a non-financial institution lender, anybody that extends some sort of credit mm-hmm. has their own biases. But that also goes into what they believe to be their risk tolerance. That's why we have so many different options. That's why there are so many options around the world to be able to to get lines of credit. I mean, heck, I could go to my neighbor and ask them if I can borrow a cup of sugar. Their bias around that cup of sugar and whether or not they think that I'm a good neighbor is going to make that decision. 
So even when you get into the machine learning and any sort of generative AI, you're going to have those biases because the individual people that have made the decisions on what they feel comfortable with for their organization are going to be baked right into it. And so I agree. We are humans. But That's in exactly. the U.S. In the U.S., at least, there are laws as well that deal with the fair, uh, uh, you know, use of how you apply credit, right? To you know, there's a there's a lot of information that that can be that has historically been used to disqualify borrowers, right? There that is, was and that it was still very happens. much discriminatory. That oh, it still totally happens. happens. That's that's not history. It's still present day. There that are still, still people that do not get access to the credit that they need because of the color of their skin, because of historical yes. bias and data. That still very much happens. There are still people yes. who aren't able to sell their house at the price they want because of pictures that they have in the house. That hasn't changed. Come on. Let's I'm not, not saying silly. I'm not saying the problem is solved. I guess my 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 question to the both of you is should AI be subject to those same of course, Rules, it's garbage right? in, garbage out. Is yeah. garbage in, garbage out. I mean, as simple as that, right? If your data that you use mm -hmm. is partially based on historical bias because of redlining, because of everything that we have done that we thought was okay, and now is manifesting itself in present day 2023, of course it needs to be fixed. And that was why CFPP came out a couple of months ago and said, Hold your horses for all of you guys that are using AI in your automated credit decisioning. Make sure you can explain what you're doing if you are rejecting someone's loan so application. Ted, you started off earlier by saying you don't want the government anywhere close to making any decisions about the. I think he had fine prints there. <laughs> I I still I like I really struggle with with when they get super granular. That's that's the biggest piece is that when you when you get down to saying you must do this and it is down to a data level or a data field or it is attached to something that has additional ramifications to it without identifying that, that's where I really, really struggle with that. Is your and, struggle because of government saying, yes, you can cannot do certain things? Or is that your struggle because the government may or may not have the right resources and the people who know what they're doing to be able to set up those guidelines? Because that's two different things. Yeah, I, I think mine is more around that we are humans and we come, become very biased very quickly, especially when money and people and proximity effects starts to kick into effect as well. And that increases the gap between total understanding and the knowledge that they have. And that's the piece that I really, really struggle with governments. And, and I will go on record saying this. I don't agree with lobbying. That's a big piece that really, really bothers me. The lobbyists should not be able to go in and do that. And, and it's not just the U.S. It's other places as well. It really Legal should. Bribery. Should. <laughs> exactly. But it should, it should come down to, they actually should have to talk to the people in their communities, not listen to people that represent the people, represent yeah. their people, right? It's like there's, there, it's gotten so far away. And, and there are countries where, where bribery is still alive and well. 
I mean, it's and, still, it's it's it happens everywhere, right? It's just the extent to which it's endemic, perhaps, is um, you know, measure that's, in that's terms of like how widespread piece. and how influential. It's I mean, someone is getting removed from the House of Representatives in part because of some of those accusations um, that have kind of gotten that gotten to an extent where you know, for the first time in a very long time, there's uh, action being taken, right? So it, it still happens here, and I agree with you on that front. The one thing I would say, though, is that like, and this is this is sort of the thing. Having worked for mega corporations and knowing the people who work there, and I know they're not evil. I know they're actually like really nice, good people, human beings. But they represent a set of interests that that are that are not human beings, right? So this is the thing around like corporations are people. That whole like Supreme Court decision that came out that like has had huge Im- implications in lots of different areas. One of the things that I've noticed is like, it doesn't matter if you're a good person working, for, if you're working for a public corporation, the public corporation has a set of interests that, that don't care about inherently things that are maybe important to you as, as a person. But one of the things that they, they will, they would do, and I know this because I also have friends who are on government relations, you know, that worked in those jobs. They really did see one of their key missions of of informing lawmakers. And you come to the point around they don't know enough, right? And it's true. How are they going to learn? In part, they've got to learn from the industry. They don't need to do what the industry tells them to do. But you need to work with people who actually work in the industry to know what the industry is doing, you know? So it's a it's a tricky one. It's very, very difficult to say because we said there's no lobbyists, and that means anyone that's not a uh, elected member cannot have a conversation and you're not from my district right i can't have a conversation to help inform you about the you know understanding this technology and its implications better i, I think i think it is a tricky situation <laughs> but but not informing lawmakers and you can call it lobbying i think that's generally what it would be referred to as you know it's 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 like they do need to be educated and sometimes the only people who can educate them are the ones who are working in the space a think tank doesn't necessarily have access to what's really going on in business. They're smart people, but you've all worked with people who are not inside the companies, right? They're consulting on the outside, perhaps, maybe know a lot around the, the overall picture, but don't really know about the, the nuts and bolts of what's happening inside. And so you, you got to trust over time that, that lawmakers are doing their jobs. I think there's not much faith in that, and that's probably why you, you probably have these concerns ted i think we i share them too so, so i just don't I, know who else can do it i don't know I, what the alternative is so i mean really the the two places that i've seen it not work is um especially when you when you look at all the regulatory that they try to put around credit cards and debit cards <laughs> those those never work because there's always another loophole there's always something else they never work just, in terms of what outcome right well, you, the, the outcome, outcome that they're hoping for is reduced costs to, to the end consumer, that 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 that's a fool's errand, because they're always got, the corporations and the companies and the businesses are always looking for additional ways to generate revenue, and it, they will always leverage any sort of regulatory piece that provides something to go against in order to generate that revenue. Then you yep. look look at a number of other areas when it really starts to come into the investment side of the house. You know, I'm. I may not be listed as 
as a person, I may not be listed as an accredited investor, but that doesn't mean I don't understand the market. That doesn't mean I don't understand the company in which I'm investing in. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But because I don't have a certain net worth, because I don't have a certain background, because I don't have a certain thing, I can't invest in the things that I want to invest in because they believe because I don't have that money, I don't know how money works. And so like things like that are Which really, is excluding access, right? Like it's like making exclusionary. Make, yeah, yeah. And I, I think yeah. that's and a good it's put, point. it's putting a layer in between that a small group of very wealthy folks can then kind of have Increase a lot more their wealth, yeah. control. And yeah, they get to participate in these markets that are closed off to the public, right? So, that, so let that's, me ask you this, Todd. Yeah, go ahead, Dean. So looking at what we have in here, hear loud and clear what you do not like. What do you think about <laughs> what the EU is doing? with respect to data privacy and AI? Because their approach is very different than ours. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, data privacy. Do you privacy, think what they're doing is whacking? Or at least is helping somewhat? Like, I don't know I'll give it, you a quick example. I don't know if it's helping. Right. I think um, it makes people feel good. <laughs> so, was that Isn't like that what yesterday? we're here for? To feel good? Oh, I, 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 grip hug. I, <laughs> um, but Apple... Right. Apple yesterday, they said they're going to open up their tap to pay technology to competitors in part because they are under immense pressure from the EU that we're going to sue them. So wouldn't you think that might be one sliver of hope that perhaps regulation does do something? Metric question. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the right approach. I think attacking individual companies is not the right approach. And would that would that be an attack though? I mean It is. They're just when you say, when you single out an individual person or corporation about something you don't like that they're doing, mm-hmm. but they're harming an customers. Yeah, right? they're hoovering so, up all the volume and they're charging the fee that they get to decide what yeah. the price is. There's no there's no there's no constraint in the market that can that can affect like what they choose to do. Like they don't they have the a gatekeeper. natural competitor. So it's exactly. either break them up, right? Antitrust kind of steps in and actually have to like break up the company. Or or they agree to these kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's like if you if you if you think a world that's full of monopolies is a good place for us all to inhabit, then I think that's the other extreme, right? Is like don't do anything. Apple and Google and these handful of companies eventually they run everything, right? And and we don't I don't think we want that either, right? But this brings me back into the whole idea of, around my perspective and really how I look at the the web three side of the house is like I really believe that providing the ability to be self sovereign and and how I move my information, myself and everything and making it distributed versus centralized within these organizations is really the the place that I think we can do the most good is is to allow for that to happen and not to restrict that from so let me ask but, you oh, a sorry, rhetorical go ahead, oh, sorry. Yeah, no. I was gonna say let me ask you a rhetorical question. Let's say that is the ideal path to go forward. What would you do with the big tech companies right now? Are you going to, as a government, tell them, hey, you know what? What you're doing is not good. Stop it. Then that will be part of stepping in 
Now, to your point, if we're going to let them go and do how the free market dictates, that's not going to change either because they have all the resources. Yeah, and I, I think you, you you touched on a piece that reminds me that I'm not normal. I'm not like most people. Um, uh, be, because I even remember back looking at really when I was learning about blockchain down to the, the bits and bytes level and figuring out how it works and the distribute, distributed ledger technology that it represents and thinking about all the really cool stuff you could do to trace and track things. And it got like super down into the weeds. And this is where I'm going to bring it back to the artificial intelligence discussion, right? This is where I think that forms of AI can be really helpful because one of the thoughts that I had was it would be really, really cool that if I could see where fractions of pennies go every time I pay my taxes, I want to see everywhere that it goes. Every last one hundredth of a penny, I want to know where it goes. And if I don't want to fund it, I want to be able to say stop funding. And to me, like giving that level of control and access would be awesome for me. But most people don't want to go that deep. Most people want to say, here's what I believe at a really, really high level. Please tell me what I should or should not do. And I think that's the place where we get really, really dangerous areas. Um, and that's kind of where we're at today. At least that's how I feel with these big companies telling us how we should or should not feel. I have a similar feeling around religion, but we won't talk about that today. We've already hit on <laughs> politics. <laughs> I guess, I, I guess, Ted, what you're describing is like, uh, it's a, it's a, it is definitely a very different approach to organizing society, right? Along lo those allow lines. me to be autonomous. Just allow me <laughs> to be autonomous. That's all I ask. <laughs> and and some, some somewhere between then and now, we have we have these giant companies that are becoming larger all the time. And I mean, and we can come back to the the OpenAI Microsoft conversation for a second, right? Microsoft's been exposed to plenty of its own antitrust issues. Now they 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 own effectively um, the leading developer of this particular generation of AI capabilities, mm -hmm. and whether they want to keep it open or not keep it open or put it inside Bing and that's it, right? Like uh, they're going to be able to make that decision, you know, uh, absent some kind of external uh, either market force. There's only two options, right? Market forces compel them, or the government compels them. And if market forces are shaped by them while this is in its embryonic stages and then they influence government oversight, you could I just see there's a there's a there's a path here where before it even has a chance to really get out there and become like a competitive market, it's already like captive. And and the, the four biggest tech companies have all the engineers, they have all the IP, they have all the they've set all the rules, and then it's gonna be like Okay, so their profits get bigger and the rest of things. I This is where I come back to what you're saying, Theodora. Like change, sure, like on, on some levels, but fundamentally, you know, 
as like who we are as beings, as, as organisms, I do sometimes think we overstate how much this stuff actually really changes us versus maybe shapes our thinking of like what we see and experience, but doesn't really fundamentally change things as much as I think we sometimes are concerned that it will. So anyway, so I, it's, it's a long-winded it statement, right? But I think it's like, I, I, I think we need to have some oversight. That'd be my position. I some agree. oversight I think is necessary. And, and a pump the brakes kind of mentality, I think is a good one. Um, I, I absolutely Slow things agree. down. And I think at I'm large, like, pedal down, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Just dive right in. I think at large, we need to have a more coherent strategy on how we can level out the playing field, right? So, so a couple of things. Um, first and foremost, the people that have access to technology that can take advantage of them as a sliver of the society. What's going to happen to the rest of the people? What's going to happen to the rest of the world that do not have access to the technology? And a lot, a lot of these tech is built based on Western languages, mm. is built mm -hmm. based on what we know, how we do things. What about the global South? What about people mm. who don't use English as their language, right? Mm -hmm. So are we thereby creating a larger divide? And if mm. this is going to be our future, what are we going to do to change it? That's the part when I say is going to change how we live and how we work, because it is increasing the divide of the haves and have-nots. You know, it's funny that you, not funny, I shouldn't say it's funny. It's <laughs> not funny. It's actually not funny at all. But it's interesting that you make that point, because I constantly am hearing from the fan fan people, fanboys and girls and, and non-binary folks, that AI is going to make things like, oh, this kid in the, you know, in urban Detroit who can't get access to, you know, a calculus tutor, they can have one now, right? And and the, the the girl in Sudan, right, who just wishes that she could learn whatever, right? Like this is the this is sort of the tech the tech utopian fantasy that that kind of I feel it covers over, it smooths over a lot of the maybe mm -hmm. other other implications. And my my feeling has been similar to yours, um, Theodora, which is like my my expectation is that those who have access to the tech will use it to their advantage, and then and then the gap will widen, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Are we are we in the extreme minority of seeing things yeah, that we way? Are. Because every time when I say that, people look at me like, no. They think it's democratizing <laughs> information, right? They yeah. they bought into this 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 sort of promise that we are going to give the best thinking in the world to everyone, right? So why is that not the case? Because so, the English piece, I think, is really good. So let's just—I think it's even true within the English-speaking world that it's that it's likely to have a, a, a it's going to increase that disparity. I'm curious, like, it, it's, what do it's, you see there? I think the other part is digital inclusion. We are not thinking enough about digital inclusion. The entire world of the future that we have is built on having access to affordable internet, affordable internet. A lot of people don't have internet access. A lot of people cannot afford internet access. And we're not just talking about rural. We're talking about urban, right? So it right. costs money. Right. We tend to forget that. I have a gig pipe in here, but I've sometimes it's easy to forget it costs money to get that. Yeah. And, and 
So is this increasing the divide? Absolutely hell yes. Unless we can get to the point where we say, you know what? This is the starting point. We need to level up the playing field for everyone. We will make sure that everyone on the planet have access to broadband internet. And then we can start from there. But of course, we'll never get there. So I, I, I agree on that front for lots of reasons. And I, and I think, so my, my added sort of perspective on this particular subtopic is, is also that I think community and local culture and the capability of, let's just say, parents to be available because they're making enough money that they can then also like guide their, their children in terms of like learning. Like it's for me, it'd be way, we'd get a bigger bang for our proverbial buck if we invested in lifting up the conditions of working families um, so that they could be more available to support their children than to say, hey, we're going to give everybody a fiber connection and free access to AI, and then the bots will teach the kids and the parents can keep working three jobs. Um, I think and, we need both. And everything's going to get better because the technology is giving them <laughs> uh, world-class Stanford education at home, which they won't use. Right. I, if you were in front of me, I would have given you a big hug. Um, <laughs> I, I can't uh, agree with thank you. <laughs> I can't agree with you more. Um, unfortunately, we do live in a society where if people are poor, we blame them on being poor. If people have poor health, we blame them on having poor health. So, well, but this issue is, I think, going to make that worse because now it'll be like, well, look, we gave you the AI. Like, we gave you a free subscription. Like, what you can't, you can't learn differential equations. Like, what's my, uh, I don't know what else you want us to do. Like, what, son, what else can we do now? My middle school son, he tried to use uh, ChatGPT to help him debug his Python code. He came back after a few days. He's like, this thing's working. I know. Like, well, you know, you know, I saw last week was really fascinating. Cheating is not up since the introduction why. of ChatGPT. Because it's shit. It doesn't work. It's garbage. Like, have you ever, I, I know, Ted, you and I have different maybe opinions on this. Um, I have almost never, I've, I've tried it hundreds of times just just because, right? Like, I've almost never found anything of value coming from that process that I've, that I've been able to take into my actual life or work and, and, and make it, make what I would have done by myself without that system supporting me better. In some cases, it was worse because I spent like an hour trying to get it to do something and then it didn't waste it, get there and I need to do it myself anyway. Right. Exactly. So I, I also, that's the other piece of it. I don't even think it's all that good. But yeah, I, I, I definitely have a difference opinion on that one. Oh, well, let's hear it. Do Ted? tell. Do tell. Yeah. I mean, just for, for me, um, wait, is maybe this really just, you or is this like a, Avatar. No, it's, this is not an avatar. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Alternate, Wait, I see. Right? Camera, other legs? Other camera. legs? So, I see a Microsoft logo showed up in the upper corner of your screen. Oh, now. crap. What's going, what's, what's going on? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I mean, realistically, when when I look at it, and it's not just ChatGPT. There, there are a number of them that I leverage for, for different reasons. And and a lot of times it, it's not meant for me to create something using it or to use what was created. Let me word it that way. It wasn't meant to use what was created. What I've leveraged it for are to help me break 
the way that I'm looking at something or it's like, this is kind of the thought process that I had. Does it make any sense? And if you put something that doesn't make any sense in there and you ask it to help you explain it, it's going to tell you in one way or another whether or not you're making any sort of sense. Hmm. And so leveraging it to do that or um, even doing a lot of the research to, to talk to you all today to find and, and go through this, I was able to traverse tons and tons of articles across the web, pull them in, ask it to annotate and tell me which articles it came from, then tell me what the similarities were across the board, tell me what the differences were. And so that gave me that piece of going, okay, well, here are the external opinions. I don't agree with that. I agree with that. That one doesn't make any sense at all. So I'm just going to put that as an outlier. But like, and maybe that's just my personal bias too, right? So really doing that to be able to get the information in and and not have to spend hours clicking on every single article, reading it and taking a note to what I what I captured. Like I can literally have it do a word for word scan of all of these things and tell me how many of the same words were used. And you'd be amazed at like how many people have just taken the same thing and public republished it again. But that has been huge, especially when I'm doing research on projects and on information. And usually in this case, it's stuff you don't know very well, right? And that's when it's been helpful. No. Is that even, true or no? No, that's not true because I'm very familiar with this, but I don't know how other people feel about it or what other people have said. Well, that's that's the same thing, right? Because that would be like, you know the topic, but maybe you're not familiar with some aspect, right? And this aspect in this case is opinion, right? You want to know like, external what is, opinion. Yeah. 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 So you want to get a sense of like, what is like, I know my view. I know a lot about the topic, but I don't know the broad like perspective. So that's an interesting way to use a tool. Never thought about trying that. That's and a, then also, I know that I write in a very specific way mm-hmm. that sometimes is extremely hard for other people to understand, uh, even myself sometimes. So <laughs> I will ask it to dumb it down and then I'll get an understanding of like how to bring the verbiage I've used down to a lower level. And then I tweak it in order to still feel like me. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just know how to do that, though? Yeah, but that takes time of learning. <laughs> but that's the fun part of it. It's just like reading. I, I, I think I, I got. But I have saying. more fun figuring out the the prompts to use <laughs> to get it to do what I want it to do oh. than I do actually doing the thing. Mm. Okay, I, I get that. I don't know. I find joy in in, in digging. <laughs> I just love, I love our response. To that. I, <laughs> we I, I have the weirdo who who used to pick up. That's thing of Britannica Encyclopedia and read through it. So this this is me. I find joy in flipping through and serendipity learning. Um, I had never used that for for um what I write because I always have a wonderful editor that's clean up my stuff. Um, but but I have a, a human, a human, human editor, human, yeah, human. Yeah. I like humans. I'm like this old school dinosaur. I love humans. Um. I had used it recently for um, graphics, and it has failed me miserably. 
Um, I it's not meant to create the ground. So that's the other piece is that it's not meant to actually create. I'll tell you what it's that it's meant to give you inspiration because it it is not at a point where it cannot do that. It gave me inspiration for my newsletter tomorrow. That's what (laughs) Uh, it did. Um, Stay tuned. Support provided by Skyflow. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? What if you could ensure data privacy, governance, and compliance with just a few API calls? What if you could worry less about PCI requirements while actually improving privacy and security? How much more time would your team have to truly innovate? How much faster could you build and ship new features? How much more powerful could your app be? Skyflow is a zero-trust data privacy vault delivered as an API. Skyflow's radically simple design lets you collect, secure, and tokenize personal information, like card data and payment details. And with built-in features like encrypted data analysis and sharing, anonymization, and advanced governance, your days of choosing between data security and data usability are over. Whether you're just concerned with PCI compliance or need to go further to include CCPA, GDPR, SOC 2, and beyond, Skyflow has you covered. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? With Skyflow, you can. Visit skyflowsecure.com today to learn how. Oh yeah, I I asked it to um to 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 create an image for me that depict a group of fintech founders talking about predictions for the new year. Do you want to guess what they all look like? White, White man. man in suits. No, not just that. It's it's in hoodies in suits. Oh no, no hoodies. It's yeah, all yeah. rolled oh, okay. up. Um, yeah. Uh, shirts with beautiful jackets and beautiful hair. Beautiful hair. Every single one of them had beautiful hair. And well, isn't that important? Three different tools, and they <laughs> hey, all came out words. the same. <laughs> it was, it was wild. I'm like, really, really? None of the founders I work with look like that. But okay. Um. So yeah. yeah but I think so. So that. here's kind of where I go when we start talking about language models and this level of the AI that we're talking about right now is is that piece of it. Is it that we don't know how to ask the right questions? Are you talking about prompt engineering? Is this, yeah. is this, a, is this, is this like, are you blaming Theodore and I for not being good at prompts? Yeah, no. we clearly don't know what the heck we're doing. No, but what, what I'm saying is like, <laughs> is, is the, are we not asking questions or asking the right questions or asking them in the right way based upon the perspective of all the data that's out? In the world today, are, are you? But are you afraid to? Yes. wouldn't get that. Yeah, I shouldn't have to force it to say, "Please make sure you have mixed gender in your graphic." Come on, isn't that interesting? But yeah. you were describing what you wanted to have. That's the piece Ouch. you have to look at. No, the default if, if though. You... See, the default would probably feel pretty okay to somebody that looks like us, uh, Ted. No, actually, then, no, it actually no. doesn't. It only Ted. Me. Yeah, only maybe only Ted. Fair. Oh my God. <laughs> no, but what, where I was going is it? If this is why he likes AI so much, I see what's going on now. Every time he comes oh. back, it's like there's a picture of this beautifully quaffed, like you know, tech savvy dude. And high five, high five, Ted. I loved your essay. I got, I got some tips for you. No, I where I was going with that is is like. <laughs> It it does it will show the biases that have been there for years. By all means, it will always show the biases because that's what all of our content is. If you look back at one of the very first generative AI 
bots that Microsoft tried out at oh, the yeah. beginning, oh, God. it immediately became a white supremacist that that was full of hate speech. Like it was Well, that one was self-learning too, though, right? That one that right. one I don't think started with a large language model. It was more the people were like this will be fun. We're going to turn this thing into a monster. But, um, but what? But the thing <laughs> is, is that what they did was was they they gave it an information source that was supposed to be diverse in information and diverse in opinions and diverse across the board. Only to realize that when it started looking at the information, it wasn't diverse. It wasn't that way. The way it was being used is, was a completely different than the perce- the perception of how it was being used and what was there is completely different than reality. Mm-hmm. And this is where I go into talking about the prompt engineering and asking the right questions. Because where we are at today and the biases that play in and all of the inequity that there is, that means that we have to ask the questions, the right questions and ask the questions the right way to be able to change the outcome. Because if we don't ask the right questions in the right way, then all we will get are more pictures of white dudes with great hair. Thank you. Thank you. Um, wearing hoodies and, and pushed up sleeves. That's let me ask you this is asking Amazon Alexa is the last presidential election stolen. Is that a proper question to ask? Because apparently, that, not according be a, that is to, not a complete question, though. According to Amazon Alexa, which for a while was pooling information from a particular website that might not be a mainstream website, that asserted that, indeed, the last election was stolen and it was full of fraud. How should but if I you would ask the then question, reword my prompt to get the proper information? Well, you're getting the answer you probably want. Right. If you're asking that question, you probably want that answer, I would suspect. Right. Based or upon the biases that it has, based upon the things reinforced, that it would reinforce, like yeah, the, yeah, the, question, the yeah. questioner's bias in that case. So, it, right. And, and, and it can go on and go on. And, and never mind that Amazon Alexa is indeed a new site that a lot of people rely on. You can always say that is not the source, but you know what? You pull it from a source. So then my oh, next yeah. question would be... Yeah, nobody wants to sit there and listen to, to um, uh, Alexa go, this was pulled from website, but it's just like, next, next, stop, stop. As soon as, you hear, as soon as you're done hearing the answer, you just go, move on. So, so whose responsibility But that is goes it? back. So, so I'm going to answer Matt first and then come out and say, and that, Matt, is exactly why disclosure does not work when you start to well, regulate. Well, certainly in an audio format, 100%. <laughs> oh, come on. 100% Even the T's agree. and C's, you need to click through. Who reads that? Nobody yeah. reads the T's and C's. Nobody does. Well, actually, I'm one of the weird people that does read the T's and C's. You do? So I do read T's and C's. Like, I... When I really want to understand something and like a company, like even on like, the app, when you're clicking through, you read through the T's and C's before I you download. I won't do it on the app first. I'll go to the app store and read them there normally. I'm a, I'm a, like I said, I am not normal, and I'm I, not like he, anybody else. He, so he sends to chat. Do a summary. <laughs> oh, I really like you. Next time when I'm in the Bay Area, I'll come find you. <laughs> Um, oh Ted's dad really likes me too right now. Well, you know, I'm changing my opinion very, very fast. 
no, no, seriously. But I mean, really looking at it, it's, it's like, that's, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that if you're asking a general question or a general piece and you're not wanting the specifics or you're not really, it doesn't matter to you, then yeah, you're going to get something that's based on general biases and everything that's out in the, in the marketplace. Yeah. Then most people I think would probably. This goes back to my tax thing, right? I would want to know where every one hundredth of a penny goes. And most people are like, I'm okay with like every 10 bucks or I'm okay with every thousand or uh, whatever it is. Right. I want to know down to the 10th decimal. And that can, that's, can that's I, can the I, difference. can I, um, I want to just come back to the fintech AI topic for a sec. Wait, that was oh. how is I want to make a, I want to make a big statement and then you all can react to this and tell me if, if, if you have, but like, what do you think? Um, at this moment in time, I see virtually no no specific use cases within payments. That's my landscape, right? So I'm just going to talk about payments, where generative AI is is likely to be useful to, in any meaningful way. I agree. Um, with only payments data, I will agree. But if you add payments, on additional data, payments like let's. Just, Paint the bigger picture of payments if you want, right around. Um, I, like I say, I'm not talking about like the customer service interaction, like surrounding payments. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it could, and and has already kind of like benefited from. Well, for certain, what I would have referred to in the past is like conversational AI, generative conversational AI, which is like the newest version of that same um, mode of interaction. I think that can be fine, um, but it's almost always limited to a very narrow, like, language set. Like, its its no, its knowledge is very much constrained to serve the purpose of answering questions about a domain. I think in that area, it can be very effective because you can can train it to answer things very accurately and and to also know when it's appropriate to say, "Look, I can't help. I'm gonna." I'm gonna I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a human being in into the flow. That that's a space where I think things have already been done that have shown value will get better are already getting better. And I I I think that area is like one that makes a lot of sense um, for us to to continue to explore. I agree. Consensus, Ted. Ted's no? thinking. He's thinking. Well, I mean. I, I agree. I agree with the customer service. I mean, I still remember when IPsoft rolled out Amelia, um, which was a conversational chat bot that was put into many financial institutions to help people navigate their websites, to help them navigate a number of different questions that they would have that had standard answers to. And I think that as we progress with these large language models and getting into it, you're going larger and larger language models. And then especially with Google getting into the multimodal version that isn't three modes put together the pile in, but them running together and, and crisscrossing at the same time, our levels of customer service are going to skyrocket. Our abilities to understand mm-hmm. the information from multiple areas and how they impact each other are going to continue to grow. You know, a perfect example and, and someone if you can take this and run with it, please do. 
But the idea that, that I had the other day was, what if I could take something like Whisper that OpenAI has, and I could make a phone call to somebody after they've submitted something and just say, hey, I want to va- verify and or validate some information. Then I ask them, can you tell me your street address? Can you tell me this? Can you tell me this? Cool. Now that you've done this, you'll receive notification or you'll get this or what have you of the next step of your process. And so because a lot of times people may not know how to write it the right way within the system, they may not understand the label that was used on a document and they used the wrong terminology or the wrong formatting. And just by having a quick conversation, that can get across a lot faster than trying to educate them on how to answer the question properly, as we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And I see that happening a lot in anything having to do with with risk and underwriting is really getting into all these different multimodal areas. Um, Heck, even being able to pull in data from social media, publicly available social media to get, what are they saying? How did they say that? Does that pull into my model? How do I use that to assess risk and or credit? Like those types of things, I see that being coming into it. Again, I'm on lending and on on that side of the house. But you mentioned that payments, you don't see any benefit. I think for generative AI specifically in the in the facilitation of payments, setting aside, as I mentioned, the support surrounding any financial services, I think support around financial services is is a really clear like go go into it. To your point, how do you make an interaction more personalized? How do you also give people insights that are valuable to them that improve their knowledge and use of the service? Potentially, then you're also talking now about like credit fraud. I think that's where you start to get back into our ethical sort of um, like potential is there, but are the guardrails like clearly established? Like, you know, how far do you go from becoming the next Cambridge Analytica and you've got not just public social media, but a private pipe, right? And now I'm making, I'm making lending decisions based on stuff that. I didn't think my bank saw my Instagram or, you know, maybe that's a bad example, my what, whatever, you know, yeah. you know, content. Um, so I, I think it can be done over there. Um, that exists already. Um, I wanted to exists. say about what Tat was just talking about using social media information. I think it was about two years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, there was a company, a fintech in India. I don't know if they're still around, but um, a lot of their micro lending decisions, it's, is made that particular company um, is using WhatsApp as an information source as well as other social media. The end-to-end encrypted messaging app WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Somehow they were able to. If I remember, uh, India was one of the first countries that they were able to do that. Um, mm. It wasn't this year; it was before. No, you know, it's, is it pr- private messages or public like interactions with like it's a com- merchant it's kind of? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because you can because in WhatsApp you can put like your status and you can change pictures you can and do you can a post lot to of public things. channels mm-hmm. and, and so mm-hmm. what they did was they use all of those interactions, public interactions, to infer 
the credit worthiness and the risk mm. of lending to those particular people. The problem with that was that they then, if you do not go back and pay your loans on time, you get harassed because you got a phone number and everything in there. And then the next step was they shut off the access of your mobile phone until you pay your loan. I forgot the name of that company, but that did happen. And it was a big problem because these things are our lives, right? You lose access, especially in a lot oh, yeah. of countries, you lose access to your mobile phone. You don't have a landline. This is your way to get out to the internet, to connect to people, to order a ride and buy groceries and what have you. Um, so that became what you were just saying, Matt, a big ethical problem is what is well, your that, that goes into your your access question too, right? Is if, if you remove my access to have that, let's say I can't afford it, except for I've chosen not to do something. Have you just restricted my access in order to repay that debt, mm -hmm. may only making it worse? And the ethical yeah. questions that go into that, that's another place. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess I'm looking at, you know, when, when we talk about the actual payment flow, if you're leveraging the ISO 0222 format, let's just say that we get really excited and somebody ooh, actually ooh. uses it. You right? got my, my ears pricked up when I heard that. <laughs> but if you were to use a format like that, then you're able yeah. to, to understand a lot more. You're able to speed up or, or say, I'm not going to, it's not a, it's not a decline transaction. It's not mm -hmm. an approved transaction. It's a transaction that's in review. And then move that into another model to determine or to a human um, to make the one. I, I think machine machine learning is is a better solution for structured transaction review and decisioning. Like I'm just saying the gen the generative AI tech for but if a Ted always, ISO twenty oh two two message is like it's just I don't see how it's helpful. Well, but if you get the, the data around the the frequency or the type of product or the type of service it is, if Ted always, every time that he buys his dog food in mm -hmm. massive bulk, yeah. he decides that for that particular one, what he's going to do is he's going to split it into four payments over the next four months because he bought four months worth of dog food. Well, but you don't need Gen AI to do that is my point. Machine learning is a great solution for, to, to solve that problem. Deep learning can, can give you also some of those same like quantitative insights. Like fraud models are already using mm -hmm. a lot of this technology, like very successfully. One of the guys I look to for my, cause I'm not an expert in fraud. Um, but if you follow like Sardine, right? Soups mm -hmm. is a CEO of, uh, um, Sardine AI. It's funny. They say AI and then he's very public about saying, Mostly it's machine learning, right? In reality, when he talks about like the fraud analytics. Yeah, machine learning, yeah. So I see where you're going. Well, I'm just distinguishing kind of, if we skip back to the front where we didn't really define what AI is, um, we could have said at that point in time is that it's an umbrella term that includes a lot of different technologies. This, this idea of like a machine learning uh, and neural network that can take a set of fairly structured inputs and then watch for deviations from a trend, make make some predictions, indicate like something that's appearing to fall outside of a tolerance. It's not just a simple like plus or minus range that, that adapts based on a whole lot of different variables. 
Like that technology is extremely valuable. It's just not new. That's not what OpenAI is building, right? Like, and so um, that's the piece where I just feel that the the hype the hype is around the thing people can see and touch and talk to. the The real value, in my opinion, for payments is is in improving the technology that we've already been building on for like 10, 15, 20 years. And so maybe I'm looking at it from, and this is, I'm looking at it as I'm an analyst or I'm a person that wants to know specifically about this data and I ask it a question, it's able to go pull that data and then give me a real English language version or a real language version versus mm. a spreadsheet. Analytics. Yeah, I think of, analytics of the analytics is that that's but that then that that I think is a great example of where that's, com- that's a pain. conversational AI, right? And that would include a gen AI component. Whether you're the customer the consumer wanting to inquire about your own, you know, data, or you're, you know, a fraud analyst that's looking for answers to specific questions. I, I do see your point. Like I think that is uh that can be very useful. Instead of like a I'm gonna write a SQL query and then I'm gonna go do a pivot table and then I'm gonna I'm going to look right. for the thing and I'm going oh, yeah, to click, 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 yeah. click, 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 you know, I and agree. That, my, that's my, a good idea too. What's probably, here's what's happening is that you're thinking the actual transmission of the data within. For payments, to, yes. To transfer. Yeah. And when I think payments, I think of everything that goes around that whole life cycle of a payment. Touching money. Like yeah, I, so I think of the whole life cycle. I think it's good, it's good, good to distinguish, good to distinguish that. Analytics around purchases to Exchange me, of value, period. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, sure. For me, payments is moving money, right? Like when you actually are transacting, you are facilitating the movement of of value from point A to point B or C or D or whatever it might be. Um, that's a payment, you know. And and then there's data that surrounds the payment, metadata that surrounds the payment that you can then you know see in real time. During a flow, you can also inquire about it after the fact. Um, that's, I would say, is like data analytics, and that can include lots of other stuff too, like lending yeah. and 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 other, other credit, like tons of stuff. So I, I just I try to put the world in boxes. Maybe it's not helpful. Um, it's just the way my brain works to say like, where's it? Because I'm always looking for like right tool for the job. Because it's usually it's like we've got this hammer. You know, let's like, where's the, where's the nails? Let's go find some nails, you know, instead of like, I start in payments as transaction processing primarily. And I ask myself, like, what are the problems that I'm facing and what's the best tool to go solve them? You know, that's, so I start, I start with the problem first and then go, what's the best solution out there? Um, not to say it's the right way to do it. It's just, that's how. That, That's how I see and, it, and I and I know I am a nonlinear thinker, which that completely boggles my mind on, like how you could look at it in a singular, singular line because nothing is singular, at least from my perspective. And so for me, I, I look at okay, well, I have this thing. What can it do? And then, well, go, this is probably why in our previous conversation you were so, um, you connected so much with that. Uh, innovation lab example that we talked about where yeah. at Wells Fargo they developed these technologies that I thought had no purpose in real life, but you you are very interested in like what they could do, right? And so I I think both both kinds of thinking are really helpful. 
you know, that there's people out there that are coming up with stuff and then being like, Hey, look, I made this thing and, and then go look for ways that it could solve, you know, be helpful. Um, and then there's people like me that are like, Oh, wait, what'd you do? Let me, can I use it here? You know? And so it's, I, I think it's like having the, the, the kind of like tools that are just kind of being made and published. And now here's, here it is with no idea necessarily, like say an open AI's example, they didn't start off with a commercial plan. They just yeah. started off with like a technology. And now the commercial kind of concepts are like coming in. And, yeah. and, and so when I look at that as a payments kind of like transaction flow kind of person, I'm saying, okay, no matches in the flow. Outside the flow, sure. Lots of times. <laughs> what would you like for it to do ultimately, Ted? I'm curious. Because I'm looking at uh. the two of you here, right? You are like the artist that has a bucket and you splash the paint on the wall and they try to imagine what it is. Matt, on the other hand, is like, I'm going to set out, draw a cube. And here are the tools I need. And this is the cube I draw. So you two are very different, but I'm very curious to hear from you, Ted. What, what would you like for the technology to ultimately do? So I think for me, what I look for the bucket of artificial intelligence to do is to not replace and or do things for us, but help us progress and move forward and look at things differently so that we can understand it in a different light. That's really, as I see the whole bucket of artificial intelligence, it really is, yes, will it replace some things? Yes. Are those things that that are not innately human? Most likely. They're, they're, they're motions. They're things that just are a repetitive in nature. It just happens. It's another one of those. And I really think what it's going to do is really have a resurgence in in the arts, really. Because as Matt, as you mentioned, everything that you've put in doesn't come out the way that you want it to come out because it's not you. It's not, it's not creative. It's not your mind making that creative decision. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I used it from a different perspective as Theo, Theo mentioned is that I said, I've got this idea. Help me like explode it and I can take out the things that I don't like. Right. And, and I think you're going to start to get that. And even Theo's comment about the creating the image. Like to me, I was like, okay, well, that's not the image I was looking for. Why did it do that? How can I get it? How can I create the image that I'm looking for? And so that's, that's really what I'm seeing this being able to do is to bring on a new generation of creative expression through numbers and through letters that we've never seen before. And I think it's really going to have us all thinking differently and changing the way we perceive the world around us. How would that change the movement of money? Say that one more time. How would that change how we move money and how we perceive money? I think it changes how we, what we value and how we value it. And by that, that's why I keep coming back and why I try my best to say an exchange of value. Because what we see as money today or something of value, it's all equated back to it. 
but it's not always been a fiat currency. It, mm-hmm. it could be, it, we had the gold standard for a long time. Before that, you know, if you look at the history of money, it's always been something that was limited in, in, in availability. And so I think we're just going to see a transition into what we find valuable and how we assess that value on it. And this will give us the ability to look at things differently versus a one-to-one ratio like we've been doing for a very, very long time. When I did uh, one of my cyber presentations a few years back, people asked me what is the future of money? What, what would the future of money look like? And I said it would be access to clean water and access to clean air. That was how I perceive the world and how we value things. Slightly different to your point, but is something that I believe is becoming more scarce and is going to be something that will be of value only to those who can afford it. And then the questions become, how do we enable access to those scarce resources and what would be the roles of financial services in the middle? We're getting to be very philosophical at the hour. <laughs> wow. Sorry. This is, this is definitely very <laughs> philosophical. So there are, there are a couple questions that I just wanted to make sure. I mean, we've been, we've been talking for some time, but I want, I want to dive into a couple things. Um, first in financial services and financial technologies, what are one or two products and or services that you've seen in the marketplace that you believe have promise or are solving a problem? And I'll start with you, Matt. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, there's a one area that I think is, is I'd really like to see a lot more work happen around that I, I know is beginning. Um, but hasn't, I haven't seen it in my, in my own experience, like really like start to work. Because it's one of those areas that's like so risky that that I think there's a reluctance to outsource really um, of any kind of function to either a different company or even especially you know technology that you don't fully understand and that's like sanction screening and um, suspicious activity reporting. There's a lot of like administrative excess that goes into screening, looking at potential matches. De- determining if something is a, 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 a real match, false positive, a lot of overhead that's not valuable, right? Like we're doing things to try to like prevent a real, you know, there's real, there's bad stuff we're trying to protect people and, you know, the world from. So I think it's a good uh, process that we, that we need to do. We need to do it. But I do, I think that because of the administrative, effort of of trying to like evaluate all this stuff with like you know some systems but they're not that great and then human oversight which is um just stretched really thin and then and then when it comes time to really dig deep in understanding like something that looks like it could be a significant issue you don't have a lot of time to really invest in going deep it's kind of like a doctor who is seeing so many patients that they can only talk to their you know people for like 15 minutes it can never go very deep into anything. So it's like, it's like, are there ways that we could use technology to dramatically improve our confidence that when somebody's looking at a case, it's very likely a real problem versus 
80, 85, 90 out of 100 times, I'm really excluding this from um, consideration because it was flagged and it's actually not a big deal. But that's the majority of, of things that get in front of a human being. So I think it's hilarious that you brought that up because, you know, before we got on, I let you know who the sponsors were going to be for for this episode. Um, and one of our sponsors happens to start to solve for that exact problem. That's been their focus from day one is leveraging machine learning and other AI deep learning technologies to really make it so that when things really look out of place based upon tons and tons of training data, what they're able to do is distill it down to one or two that really need that human review to, to identify the piece of it. So I think that's, that's really interesting uh, that you brought that to- topic up. What I, would I be curious to hear from you or them or whatever? So it's kind of like, I think there's partly there's this idea of like, you got to prove that the tech actually does that effectively, you know, and then convince, you know, banks in most cases who there's serious like penalties if you mm-hmm. miss something. Right. And so there's this sort of idea that like, I'm going to over, I'm going to over kind of like index on examining things because the cost of missing a case that actually turns out to have been whatever it might be, right, is so expensive that I, I, it doesn't, I, I just, I got to, I got to just invest in it. Right. So be curious to hear, like, how do you, how do you show that the technology is good enough, right, to, enable you to just ignore stuff that otherwise the previous generation of the system would have said you you should you should look at this before you let it go yeah and and i there are a number of financial institutions and other groups that have have felt that as they gone through they'd gone through and and looked at it that this provides a much larger reward than the overarching risk and they're starting to see that now exactly how they got into it that is that is a piece that uh, I will be covering in an entire product review of the product um, in the near future. Um, so we'll, we'll be diving into that piece of it. Cool. But Theodore, Theo, what, what is one that, that you've seen in your travels and all the great people you've been able to talk to that, that really perked your, perked your ears up? I know there's something I would love to see. <laughs> I'm boring from Matt's uh, response, that we're not quite there yet, unfortunately. So one of the areas that's always been really intriguing, and I touched a little bit upon that, is how we're living longer and we're living differently. The tools that have been at our disposal and the way we relate to money, unfortunately, has not changed. A lot of the assumptions for basic financial planning still is you go to school, get a job, Save start more, a family, keep spending, credit card debt, retire, and here you go, wealth transfer. It's been the same model forever and ever. What we have forgotten is that a lot of people don't subscribe to that anymore. We don't do that anymore. We could be going to school, work go back to school, later in life start a family, much later in life start a family, um, start a business, right? Like, you know, what I said, I, 
I always like to use myself as an example because I turned 50 last month. I started my company in my mid-40s. My parents are late 70s. My children are young. They're still in elementary school and middle school. Now, if you look at trajectory of how we live and how long we live, in 10 years' time, I will be 60. My kids will be in college. We all know how expensive college is in the United States. My parents will be in the late 80s, meaning they will need help. And unfortunately, they had decided that they would live somewhere else abroad because they couldn't afford to grow old here and bear the healthcare cost anymore, which is becoming a problem. Now, me, I like to plan ahead. What do I need to do in my next 10 years so that I know I can be a place that I can have a secure financial future for my next 30 years? At the same time, I'll be able to support my two children going to college. At the same time, I could support my parents who will be almost 90. At the same time, I can keep doing what I like to do. Human can't do that. We sort of need help from technology. We sort of need help from Beyond what a current human advisor can do, we need something that is not static. We need something that can continue to change and evolve the planning, much like how we step into a car for GPS navigation. It knows to reroute you if there is traffic, if there is an accident. It knows to reroute you if you change your destination, if you want to add a stop in the middle. I don't have that for money. I don't. What do I do? I would love to see that before I go broke in 10 years. That's my hope. It's $500,000 per child for college in But are you seeing anybody that's headed in the right direction? I did. um, That was a startup that I met when I was in ARP quite a few years ago that they were going in that direction. But this is the problem when um, I started in the space. This is like quite a while ago. People like, we don't do old people. I got told on stage, we do not do old people. The perception of planning for longevity is not a sexy concept for people who like to fund startups, even though they all tell me they do have parents and they do relate to the situations because they themselves would have the same challenge. But no, we don't do old people. Here you go. Bias nut. (laughs) We go back to the bias that we were talking about at the very beginning. I had to bring you back. (laughs) I know, I know. I appreciate it. All right. So last but not least, I want you to pull out your your crystal ball or put on your future glasses, whichever one you want to do. We're not getting into the hot tub time machine, but when you look forward, where do you see very specifically the trends of generative AI inside a fintech really making a difference. And making a difference is based on your personal perspective. It doesn't have to be fiscal or or altruistic of any sort. It just, where do you feel it'll make the most difference? I'll let whichever one would start first. No time frame? I thought you were going to ask right. like 2024. 20, um, ten, 10 years. Let's go 10 years. Oh, 10 years. In the next 10 years, 
what do you, what do you see generative AI, deep learning, and fintech 10 years from now? I'll see what I, I can tell you something that I saw a few months ago that seemed really interesting is not so much so generative AI, but more so using the data and understanding what people need and understanding the bankable moments. I'll go back to bankable moments. That's been one of my favorite this year is if we look at, if we look at communities and you look at how we define communities, the old notion of community, you know, being at a geographical um, state is different, right? So you define community as people, you define communities of things that bring them together. You define communities as employees, people that work for, let's say, a particular company. What keep people up at night is, can I pay my bills? Can I afford to do the things I need to do? Do I need to work two jobs, three jobs to make ends meet? So what is the role of employers knowing the people that are working for them and knowing who they are and what they need and what they want? How can they be in a position to help facilitate the particular services that their employees need to get them to a more secure financial future? I think that's where I see promise. I've seen um, a company that is able to do that looking at an overall quote-unquote financial health score for each of the employee and then matching them up to the services of the variety of community banks and credit unions that are in their network, thereby creating a specific suite of services that helps them in that particular position um, to be able to personalize what they need for that person instead of saying, oh, you know what, you're banking at, you know, Bank ABC down the street. You're going to take all of the suite of services, which doesn't always work. I want something from this one. I want something from this one because this is the life stage I'm in right now. And kind of like magic, but not magic. You bring them together. That's where I, I see more intentional use of technology and data to create better financial future for people. I do see that happening. Matt, how do you follow up that one, man? Wow. Uh, I'm not even going to try. I'm <laughs> just going to, I'm just going to, just going to say that, um, uh, let me let me let me paint the the most optimistic picture that I that I think um, like assuming things are just in a way that are on the whole kind of like going in a positive direction. Uh, I think there's risks, but I think I, there, there's definitely ways that I see I, I see things playing out that are that are that are sort of positive, um, and that I think are important for us to kind of th- like already sort of anticipate impacts in order to prepare current. You know, people who are working and then the next generation of, of young people who are entering the workforce to start to, it's mostly that next generation that I think is going to bear the brunt of these changes, to be honest. Everyone keeps saying like, oh, you know, the, the, the older workforce isn't going to be AI savvy, right? And they're going to, and they're going to, they're going to struggle. You know, it's like they need to learn these new skills. I actually think the opposite problem, um, at least based on what I see right now. Is, is more likely, which is like one of the things that we use um, the technology for today is summarizing call reports. And so mm-hmm. like historically, that was something that an inside salesperson would sit on calls, hear the, hear the account exec talk to a client, um, take a bunch of notes, and then after the meeting, 
they would write up the notes and they send it to everybody. So everyone has the notes on the meeting. Now that that person doesn't need to sit on the call. The AI agent sits on the call and listens to everything and then regurgitates it out into a, into a summary. And the summaries are like good enough, let's just say, like in most cases. That, that role was not simply like grunt work, even though it is grunt work. It was also, it gave you a seat at the table to then like observe how does the process of engaging in a strategic conversation, like how does it work, right? And so now we're going to have to figure out, I think, it, so that is going to become just standard. Like every, every, it's already close. I think it's going to become more and more and more standard. Um, and then look at things like prospecting, right? Like how do I find clients um, or how do I contact, making initial contact with, with a client? Like those are going to become very, very high quality, both in terms of finding the right targets, like exactly who mm-hmm. with the right message that, that understands that person what their role is, what their company does, what your company does, and then and creates like communications that that convey uh, uh, something that's I think going to be it's going to be pretty effective, right? So this whole process of taking your new your new your new service and then marketing it, I think will 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 become a lot more will require a lot less human direction, human steering, and effort. And so I think that's not a bad thing. However, then I think we need to ask ourselves like how, wh- okay the next the next group that's coming in like what 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 is what their job right like you know like how how do we how do we help everyone kind of like learn the basics of human interaction <laughs> and you're you're playing right into to kind of what i see in the hmm. next 10 years is the importance of face-to-face interaction the hmm. importance of building relationships the importance of the transparency the importance of the empathy, the, I mean, just all of the, the really human stuff about us is going to be so much more important because all the things that can be non-human are just going to happen. Mm. And so we will have to do one of two things, either become really, really good at communicating with each other and building that relationship. Or the other side of the house is we don't, and unfortunately, we become very, very lonely people. And so I think when you start to look at fintech, what it does is it allow it will allow a lot of people to put, this sounds really bad, put it on autopilot and say, this is the outcome that I want. Let that happen. And then go spend the time with their friends and their family and all these other things to to let them move forward. I really think that that's, that's the piece that it's really going to allow us to do, is to build relationships, whether it be inside a business or outside a business. I hope so. I, I think it could. It's a question is like, we got to choose that, right? That, that isn't just going to happen. Yeah. Like it's, it's got to be an intent that, that we all sort but of You like, can't regulate it. And on that You cannot though, regulate it. <laughs> and on was, that note I was going to say use that free time to learn Kobo that's what I tell my son oh, oh. free time to learn Kobo yeah. <laughs> yeah someone needs to maintain it I'm sorry <laughs> and it'll be around forever uh, you guys thank you Theo for joining I know we went really really long today but it was so interesting to get down into the philosophical levels and bring it back up into the technology and and really look at it from a world view versus a very North American view. Matt, as always, 
Um, thank you for putting me on the spot and forcing me to think and look at things differently. It's always greatly appreciated. And I can't wait to, until the next episode of FinTech Confidentials Uncut. As we wrap up today's episode, I've got one last thing for you. If you're in the trenches fighting fraud and financial crime, you know it's a complex battlefield. That's where Hawk's AI tools for real-time payment screening, AML, transaction monitoring, and dynamic customer risk rating come into play. These aren't just buzzwords, they're game changers designed to make your compliance more effective and less of a headache. Imagine slashing through false positives with precision and giving your compliance strategy the edge it needs. Head on over to gethawkai.com to sign up for a demo and discover how their platform can revolutionize how you fight fraud and financial crime. This has been a production of DV3 Media with all rights reserved. This is provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. We strive to provide accurate and up-to-date information, but will not be responsible for any missing facts or inaccurate information. You comply and understand that you should use any of this information at your own risk. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile financial assets, so research and make your own financial decisions.